Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast. Check this out. 1968 Martin 0018C. For those of you who know, that's a nylon string classical guitar from the C.F. Martin Company. Built in Nazareth, PA, baby. New to the collection. Thank you, Santa Claus. I am enjoying this. If you wonder where I've been, this is it. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. It's been a minute. I'm back with you here. Episode 88 of the Noel Kassler Podcast. We got a lot to get into. It's been a busy about 11 days since I put one of these out. You know, I'm on uh, Twitter, as you all know, and I'm writing on Substack. So if it takes a minute to put out a pod... It's not that I'm uh, not thinking about you guys or doing uh, doing other things. I'm just trying to deal with it all, and I wait until I feel like I got something to say before I say anything. That's always been my rule of thumb. Um, otherwise, it just becomes a job, you know? And uh, we're beyond that, right? We're talking about, like, things that matter as a nation, you know? That's what the, this podcast, to me, is just about me trying to figure out, you know, make sense of this time we're in along with everybody else, you know, and, uh, I say, you know, a lot, sorry. Um, I did Stephanie Miller's show this morning. I just finished taping that. So, uh, been already talking for an hour and, uh, we can kind of work backwards. You know, the Elon Musk stuff is worth mentioning just because it's so dangerous. The fact that he tweeted out yesterday, you know, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. So at, at once he was, you know, proselytizing anti-COVID disinformation that, you know, has killed over a million Americas, Americans and is surging again as we speak. You know, everybody I know is getting it again. I call it the silent surge this time because nobody really seems interested in talking about it. But then he demonizes Dr. Fauci at the same time, making his life dangerous. You know, a doctor who has to have security to protect himself and his family. <laughs> which is insane. You know, if you're the head of the NIH and you've in your career helped develop AZT and save millions of lives, you've helped develop a vaccine that literally allowed us to leave our homes and go back out in the world again, you know, and you're going to attack a guy who did that. It's insane, right? But Elon Musk is a troll. So that's his brand. He knows it's going to spark a lot of outrage and circulate, and it's going to be more fodder for the idiots who follow him. You know, and then he tried to show up at a Dave Chappelle, not tried to show up. He was invited by Chappelle. <laughs> Let's be real. And Chappelle gave him 10 minutes of stage time, basically during his set in San Francisco last night in some arena. But what happened was Elon just got booed the whole time, you know, and they couldn't really say anything. Dave got in a couple like jokes and, you know, slams and they had a laugh at the expense of people who had been fired at Twitter. You know, Dave said, oh, I think all those people booing are people you fired. You know, ha ha ha, so funny firing people, you know, right before the holidays when they, you know, went into a line of work that, you know, they assumed they would have a steady income. You know, they'll get hired again. But, you know, my point is like firing people is not a fun thing. Right. It shouldn't be something that anybody ever takes pleasure in, but it's that same snarky kind of I fired you. You know, it's no accident. It was Trump's tagline on the show that was developed at NBC that I worked on. Right. The, the Apprentice, the Celebrity Apprentice. Right. You're fired. You know, it was sort of the beginning of the snark bro culture when that began. Right. Money, money, money. Right. This big, like greedy and ruthless. Right. Trying to get that Gordon Gecko greed is good, Wall Street, I'm a wolf kind of attitude back and celebrated in America, right? In American men, 
that same sort of toxic masculinity. You're fired is the equivalent of like, you know, I'm armed, you know, do not enter like on someone's property, right? Never mind the dog, beware of owner. That same sort of bro culture, toxic BS, you know, the guys with the big pickup trucks and the beards and like, you know, acting like they're going into Fallujah when they're walking into Walmart. So that sort of un, you know, unempathetic, unsensitive, I don't have to worry about the next guy. I can have a big laugh at somebody who just got fired, who might have kids and a mortgage and Christmas coming up. You know, it's all good. It's all fodder for the grist mill, you know, and that, that stuff feeds on itself. And that's become the sort of defining characteristic, not only of the GOP, but of sort of social media in America in general. You know, Twitter is awful now. <laughs> I get a lot of people like, just block them. You know, it's easy to say that if you have 500 followers and a thousand followers, you know, you get into substantial multitudes of that number and it becomes impossible to block everybody. And you spend half your day angry and pissed off and trying to catch up. And at least before Elon took over, things that were obviously anti-Semitic, obviously anti-homophobic, you know, homophobic, obviously, you know, espousing violence, you could at least report those tweets and feel like you were doing your civic duty to kind of police, self-police and keep it a kind of a cleaner environment and not let that kind of hate, you know, continue to circulate. Now you can't even report those people because none of them are in violation of the terms because there are no terms. Elon is clearly a Nazi, right? He's clearly a mediocre white guy who benefited from apartheid, didn't have any kind of moral enlightenment from what he witnessed as a kid, was like basically, yeah, that's cool, you know, and then he moved to Canada and then he moved to Penn and then he started bullshitting about his credentials and sort of, you know, fancied himself and designed himself to be a tech genius when in reality he made his own fortune because of being part of Peter Thiel and PayPal and that sort of financial arm of the tech industry. But Elon, you know, he took over Tesla. He bought it from two other guys who actually did the inventions and then, you know, took on the allure and like, I'm the genius who's going to take us all to Mars, you know, and then establishes SpaceX, which is full of engineers and researchers and ex-astronauts, you know. Garrett Reisman is an astronaut I know. I used to date his younger sister. And I used to live in Garrett's house, like with his parents and stuff. He's a whole family of geniuses. He was the U.S. astronaut who spent the most time on the space shuttle. Or the, not the space shuttle, the space station. He served with Kelly, you know, with the Kellys in Arizona and stuff. Mark Kelly. I've had a conversation with Mark about Garrett Reisman. But anyway, Garrett works for SpaceX. You know, Garrett's a, a, a genius. You know, th those are the kind of people that are doing the work behind the scenes and building... And, and creating the technology that Elon sort of positioned himself to be the, you know, complete creator of, right? And, and, it, and it worked because, you know, cyber bros saw that and they're like, bro, he's the richest man in the world. Like, he owns a car company and a rocket ship and he likes Dogecoin too, you know? He's going to make me rich. So that they get attracted to that like guys like musk and elon narcissists they need to be fed by adulation constantly they need an army of people telling them they're great that's why trump only surrounded himself with sycophants in the white house right he wouldn't let anybody around him who was going to give him a negative answer because his ego was too fragile a real leader seeks out the guys who aren't going to bullshit them especially when they get in a position of power like the presidency you know if you worked for Barack Obama, President Obama, it was a requirement that you had to be able to tell him the truth. If he got the sense that you were just cowed by the office, you know, and trying to kick his ass, he wasn't going to call on you for an opinion, right? He, he wanted guys who were going to tell him, you know, what he didn't want to hear, because that helps you make a more informed decision. You want to see things from all the other angles, and you want somebody to challenge your idea if you really care about the outcome, right? Because it's not about you, it's about serving the people, and you know millions of people's lives are going to be affected by any decision you make as president, right? Nothing is monotonous, nothing is routine, just a little thing like you know, where to put in a highway and transportation issues and stuff. They have domino effects that, that, that impact the lives of people you'll never meet, but you're in charge of their well-being.
temporarily. And, and to anybody with a brain that's a, or in a heart too, that's a real high honor. You know, that's something you strive to live up to and you make sure you have the best people around you to make sure you don't, you know, do too much damage because we're all human and we're all fallible and we all do have egos and points of view. And, uh, the trick into life in life, in my opinion, is to see things from somebody else's point of view. You know, that's, that's why I'm always, you know, harping on the humanities and the arts. And it's not because I'm the most creative person in the world. It's because I know that if I hear somebody else's story, it's going to give me a, a more of a depth as a, as a person. It's going to be, it's going to give me more of an understanding because I'm somebody who, you know, struggles against my own judgment as many of us do. I'm super judgmental, you know, and I'm a comedian. So I work in generalizations, right? It's not meant to, there's always an exception. Like when I talk about rural white voters, you know, there's always somebody who's like, Hey, I voted for, you know, Bernie Sanders and I live in, you know, meth lab, Georgia or whatever. Like I get it. <laughs> I'm just talking about in general, I'm talking about on the graph. When you see the County turn red, that's what I'm talking about. I know in, in pockets of, of, of those red states, there's tons of liberal people, you know, and nobody's black and white. You know, that, that's the interesting thing about human, the human condition. It, I went to drama school and I read a lot of plays. And, and what you'll find if you really take apart like the great characters in drama is that people are competing against themselves in many ways, right? It's a battle against your own forces, what your motivations are, what your responsibilities are, what the circumstances are, you know, that that's all occurring in and how you react to that. And, and everybody's in conflict, right? Shakespeare talked about that kind of stuff. You know, you read King Lear, you, you, you see almost the invention of the human personality and the illumination of it in these plays, if you really dig into them. And, and the only reason I had to, because it was the only academic work, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So a lot of it is performance as a conservatory, right? But that was like the schoolwork portion was reading a play every every week and doing a play report. And I got good at diagnosing sort of what was motivating a character. You know, it was the easiest way to break down a play. And you can apply that to these CEOs and these executives, you know, like a president, right? You see like what's motivating this guy to wake up and attack, you know, a scientist, a guy who spent his whole life trying to help people, a guy who's clearly smarter than me, right? Not just Noel, but smarter than Elon Musk, okay? Like Elon Musk is not fit to shine Dr. Fauci's shoes, okay? Dr. Fauci went to Regis High School, you know, got one of the best medical educations in this country and worked at NIH and rose to the top of his field. We all saw the mild-mannered, scientific, you know, you know, guy who had this equilibrium that he was able to stand there during press, you know, press briefings where Trump was telling people to drink bleach, you know, and all these insane things at, at the darkest moment in modern American history in many ways, right? 9-11 was, was gut-wrenchingly awful, but we were in a greater crisis when you look at numbers during the pandemic, especially early in the pandemic, March, April of 2020. Nobody knew what was going on, how long this was going to last, if it was ever going to open up again. We were trying to get some science. We were like a year away from a vaccine, basically, right? And Trump's telling people to drink bleach and that there's been progress with, you know, putting UV light up your butt or whatever it was right? And Dr. Fauci is staying the course. He's continuing to be a scientist amongst this insanity, right? He's not like, screw you. I'm out of here. This guy's an idiot. I don't, I'm not sharing a stage with him. You're on your own. He hung in there even when he got death threats, even when he became vilified on the right as he has every day since, right? And you, you had podcasters like Joe Rogan and comedians and idiots who had no opinion you know, or no right to like bear their opinion on scientific matters chiming in. You had football players, right? Aaron Rodgers is telling people he doesn't believe in vaccines. Like, screw you, Aaron Rodgers. You know, who are you to say that? It's one thing to like, I'm not going to take this in my body. Well, good. Well, just stay the fuck home and don't go outside and lose your job as a quarterback. Because if you want to compete in the real world, if you wanted to be in the armed services, you'd be getting vaccines all day long, right? When you joined, you'd spend a 
you'd, you'd get so many shots and vaccines before you had to travel. Any of us who've toured with rock bands had to get vaccines. When I was a kid, you would get them in elementary school, you know? So the fact that they're able to inject this sort of anti-vaccine, bro-culture idiocy into, into our national discourse so easily, because you have all these avenues of delivery, the podcast, the right-wing media, Fox News, which was a huge purveyor of misinformation, you know, which was rooting for Trump because they wanted an authoritarian to get back in office because Rupert Murdoch wanted to keep his tax cuts. Right. And you had the rest of the media infrastructure going along with that as well. You know, CNN, Jeff Zucker knew exactly who Trump was when I worked for Trump. OK, Jeff Zucker was the head of NBC Entertainment at the time. He could care less in 2016. He knew Trump was a sexual assaulter. He knew Trump was addicted to drugs. He knew Trump would use the N word on set and defecate himself and could barely read. He knew that guy shouldn't be anywhere near the White House and he kept his mouth shut to make money. Okay, and then he kept his mouth shut while Trump increased anti-Semitism and racism and homophobia for four years, right? And now they got another guy in charge at CNN that's trying to do the same thing, that's trying to turn it right wing. So that's why Musk is destroying Twitter. They're shutting down progressive speech and they're de-incentivizing it, right? You lose a follower account now. If you're a, you know, a larger progressive account, you used to like, we all did, right? You, you want to see how many followers you're getting. The goal is to like build your following, large, enlarge you know, the amount of people you're speaking to. It goes in the opposite direction now, right? Because Elon Musk has mandatory removals of people following left-wing accounts. People were getting kicked off of the Auschwitz Memorial account that were following it and they would automatically get unfollowed, right? Big liberal accounts were getting automatic unfollows. This is all by design because they want to shut down progressive speech and they want to make it a very unrewarding arena to walk into, you know, and, and that's why Dave Chappelle would have Elon Musk on stage because Dave is hoping everyone's going to cheer and it's going to make Dave look like the anti-hero free speech guy as he's always claiming to be, you know, and in reality, he spends half his time pandering to hate speech because it's cheap and easy, right? It makes you seem edgy to go after trans people. It makes you unimaginative. It makes you show that you don't really have that much depth, you know, and I'm not as big a fan of his as everybody else is because he talks about himself and how great he is all the time, and he's not that great. I grew up in the same part of the country when I was a young man. I'm from PG County. He was from Silver Spring. He's a little younger than me, but he paints himself as like the funniest person to ever live and the funniest person to ever do comedy, which was the speech he gave at Duke Ellington when he went to get an award when they were going to name a theater after him and they had to take it back because, you know, so many people protested, as they should, because he offended them. He, he hurt a marginalized community. He punched down, you know. But anyway, he claims he's the funniest guy from that era. There was a thousand guys funnier. You go to a DC comedy club, you'll find funnier guys than Dave Chappelle any night of the week. But he has been anointed by the media and, you know, he's on SNL and, you know, he's not without talent. Don't get me wrong. He's very good at what he does. A lot of comedy is sort of a shtick. You know, it's, a, it's an act. You get good at, at writing and how you deliver it and you, you get really good at refining your material. You know, and he's, he's a top top level performer. There's no question. But what are you doing with that position? You know, are you illuminating and enlightening people? Are you lessening the burden and helping to protect vulnerable people? Or are you trying to make a buck off of white douche bros, which is essentially what he <laughs> is trying to do, in my opinion. You know, it, it, it reminds me of Michael Jordan, like, you know, Republicans buy sneakers, too, when they were trying to get Michael to, to you know, to, to chime in in the race against Jesse Helms or whatever. And he sent Jesse Helms back to Congress because Jordan was like, I'm not getting involved. I want to get rich. It's not my job to uplift all the people. And I get that, you know, and I especially get it in Michael Jordan's case. In Chappelle's case, who uses the N-word every other word and tries to present himself as sort of a beacon of truth and free speech. And then his material is sort of lazy, anti-Semitic tropes like he did on SNL a few weeks ago then no, this is not edgy. You're just dumb. You're just being a dumbass and you're not helping and you're not even that funny because who wants to listen to somebody talk, you know, about how great they are the whole time. He puts his freaking name on his clothes. Like, you know, I've met the dude a lot. Anyway, enough of a rant. I'm not the fan. Everybody else is obviously, you know, 
and, and what bothers me about that is I know how many people worship Chappelle. If you work in the clubs, they're all trying to be like Chappelle all day long. They all sit in stools. They all slap the microphone on the side of their leg. Like all his little ticks are copied, you know, and, and that's the larger point of what I'm trying to get to. Like you have a responsibility when you start to have a, a large platform or you're the head of a company like Twitter. To, to understand you're going to have undue influence and whatever you say is going to have a reach beyond your needs, right? I understand why someone may need to, to you know, tweet a certain way or say, say a certain thing, you know, to, to deal with their own motivations and circumstances. But you have to understand the effect that's going to have on the greater world. You know, in recovery, you have a thing called restraint and pen and tongue, restraint of pen and tongue. Right. And, and it's it's one of the more positive aspects of the things you learn when you're getting sober, because it has undue benefits in your life. And it's maybe one of the hardest things to apply. Right. It's very hard not to curse that guy out who cuts you off in traffic or lean on your horn. It's very not to, hard not to send that email immediately. You know, when a colleague sends you something and blames you for something you already did or whatever, and you want to react in anger, right? Or, or in defensiveness or in all these other ways that, you know, can get ourselves in trouble, you know, our own sort of ego, not even character defects, but th and that's a primary part of it. But like, you know, your own motivations and desires, like I was talking about, you know, with plays. So it's a wonderful discipline that will make your life a lot easier and it involves a lot of practice and it's not easy to do, but there's a reason for it, right? Because you're not trying to make things worse. And in someone in recovery, you're not trying to get yourself all riled up, right? They say, you know, self-righteous anger is the dubious luxury of normal men, right? And you're admitting in the first step, you're not normal. You're powerless over alcohol. You pick up a drink and all bets are off and you're screwed, right? So you have to, you have to control the things you can within you. And all you can really control in life is how you react to something, right? Or what you say or thinking before you speak. And a guy like Elon, who just thinks, ah, it's free speech. I should be able to tweet whatever I want because it's fun, but it's not fun. It's not fun for the, you know, Jewish people in New Jersey who couldn't celebrate Shabbat, you know, three weeks ago because they were under threat because so many synagogues had attacks and he's proselytizing for anti-Semites Semites, and putting Kanye West back on Twitter, right? It's not fun for them. It wasn't fun for people, you know, in the LGBTQ community after Paul Pelosi was attacked when Elon Musk retweeted a homophobic lie conspiracy theory. You know, that, that Paul was somehow involved with his attacker. That wasn't fun for the kids who were going to get attacked for being gay in middle school and high school, right? So it's not fun when you make a joke about, you know, trans people that are suffering, you know, and, and being attacked for trying to live their truth. I was in a diner on Thursday, I'm driving up to Massachusetts for the day, and I was in a diner in a beautiful little town in the sort of Hudson Valley, right just east of the Berkshires, right on the Connecticut border. And there was a young man in there, a young woman, trans woman, okay, you know, see that already, I'm not saying that to like to be funny, you know, you know, it was somebody who was young and, and transitioning, but not fully there, right? So he had like, you know, he had a wig on and he had some high heeled shoes, you know, and the rest of his outfit, he was a young, uh, young black man. You know, and, and I'm saying he was black because we were in a predominantly white area. You know, we're just being black would, would, would probably make you not self-conscious, but, you know, make you the target of being the other. Because I happen to know the demographics of where we are. This is Trump signs. This is people with guns and pickup trucks. You know, this is like, you know, New York's version of the hillbilly area with pockets of, of wokeism. <laughs> you know, to borrow the term they hate, you know, so, you know, somewhat arts communities, but this isn't Woodstock, okay, we're not like, this isn't, and it's certainly not the East Village, so, so this kid's already probably marginalized in this community, and then he's coming out as who he is, and I remember walking out of the diner, you know, and I briefly made eye contact with him, but I didn't want him to think, you know, I was staring at him or anything, because he probably gets a lot of that, so, you know, I just sort of glanced at him, and, uh, 
person I was with like said something not bad but just looked at him like did you see you know did you see that person and I said can you imagine the courage it takes to be that that young woman to live your truth in this community you know to do it anywhere takes courage it takes courage to do it in San Francisco and New York and I've seen friends of mine do it and it's the bravest thing you'll ever witness and and jump at the opportunity to support somebody in living their truth because it'll it'll pay dividends in your own life and your own understanding but to see it in this situation you know to to know that kid was going in there and he sat at the counter and ate lunch you know by himself and uh it just it struck me as like that's what you want the world to be you want people to to do what they have to do for themselves to live out their own truth not hurting anybody not harming anybody just being like this is the vibe i need to chase for who i am you know and and you need to applaud people in that search you want a society where people feel comfortable being their truest expression of themselves right because that makes us all richer that makes our world more vibrant it it you know, it's like going into the garden and telling the flowers not to bloom, right? And then you've got a spring without yellow and tulips and, you know, and blue and green and red and all these wonderful colors of the rainbow that you're meant to experience while you're here. You're getting denied by people oppressing, you know, people living their truth. And then you, you know, you add on to that the threat of violence so people begin to hide. And they don't want to live their truth and you don't get to see what their gift was fully you don't get to see that flower bloom so to speak you know so anything in opposition of that is something to be examined it's it's not something to be feared because we're going to win right love always wins as i say but it is something to be aware of and it's got to be part of the battle plan right it's got to be part of the reason that we you know continue to speak out against this stuff and call out somebody like elon musk you know or, or dave chappelle who's platforming this stuff you know 10 minutes it was 10 minutes of booing he gave him 10 minutes of prime stage time you could have given that 10 minutes up at the top of the show and had an extra opener given some local comedian from a marginalized community a chance to tell their truth to your vast audience and change some lives and open some hearts instead you get the richest man in the world to come on stage and get heckled from 10 minutes to for 10 minutes and he has to ask you what to even say because he's not a comedian you know, and, and by the way, that same guy, Elon Musk, got to host SNL, right? My friend Kathy Griffin has never hosted SNL, but Elon Musk has. And, and by the way, we shot the first Celebrity Apprentice on the stage, the first finale, the first boardroom where he's like, you're fired. Piers Morgan was on that season. We and Amorosa, we, we shot that at Studio 8H on the, the, you know, the set of SNL, essentially. They weren't there at the day, that day, but... You know, so it's all a construct. It's all theatrics. It's all bullshit. Like Trump wasn't a businessman. He wasn't a genius. He was a licensing, you know, company essentially at that point where they'd license the Trump name and they'd slap it on the side of some crappy building and he'd claim to be a builder. He wasn't, right? He was just a brand and other people built it and put his name on the brand. And now that brand is in serious jeopardy because that brand was found guilty on 17 counts of tax evasion essentially last week, right? And Alan Weisselberg sort of fell on the sword for him and they tried to blame everything on Alan, you know, who was Trump's right-hand man in terms of the finance, okay? And there was nothing that Alan was doing that Trump wouldn't have known about. That's the other thing about Trump. He's a micromanager, okay? He, he decides what color skirts the women wear in his office, okay? The, the way people looked in the White House was all down to Trump. That's why they'd get all these uh, old Miss girls. They liked young, hot, blonde girls. So Ivanka's assistant was from Old Miss. Her father was appointed to be a prosecutor down in uh, Mississippi while, her, while his daughter was the assistant to Ivanka Trump. And uh, so a little payback. And then she would bring up like old miss like interns and stuff in the white house because trump wants hot girls around for the guys to feel empowered and that's why he would hire all these abusive guys who got fired like the one who was dating hope hicks and stuff rob something i can't even remember his name they're all the same type of guy right you know douchey misogynistic bros right because that's the bullying culture that's the sort of like you know their idea of what an alpha male white guy is right you know and it's all 
It's all an act. Inside, they're insecure. They're emotionally stunted, you know, little boys, right? But they're trying to act like they're real men on the world stage. And that's what you see in something like Elon, right? He looks like a fool to anybody who understands anything about psychology. You know, you're like, this guy's a narcissist. <laughs> this guy has no hope at ever being happiness or, you know, happy or feeling true love. Because you can see the compulsion of understanding on a deep level that nobody really likes you. Trump has the same thing, you know. I've never seen a scared, weaker, more scared and weaker psyche than Trump's up close. If you remember, there's a clip of him getting booed. Same thing, right? Boo booing is like the worst nightmare for a narcissist because all eyes are on you, you know, and you're being mocked. And your whole life is about trying to prop up this idea of how great you are. Right. But you're hoping that the dividends pay off in real life. When you walk into a room, you want everybody to turn and look at you and go, oh, look, there's Donald Trump. He dates supermodels and, you know, makes a lot of money. There's Elon Musk. He builds rockets and is super cool. And Dogecoin bros love him. <laughs> you know, like they want that adulation. You know, they both want the same thing. You know, Trump, I would tell people he wants to get high. He wants to hit on women and he wants music to play when he walks in the room. Right. He's. He's dominated and obsessed with how he's going to feel in the moment. You know, real pragmatic people, they're gaming stuff out years down the line. You know, impulse oriented people are sort of not having that restraint of pen and tongue, you know, like I talked about. And they do stupid things like buy Twitter because they send out a tweet and say, should I buy Twitter? You know, and all their little minions say, yeah, do it, do it, doge father. And then he does it right. Then he shoots off his mouth gets involved in something that his ego thinks I'm the richest guy in the world, $40 billion is nothing to me, you know, or $44 billion, makes an offer, they don't let him get out of it, and he ends up owning the thing, you know, but it has real-world consequences because now he's hurting people. He's affected the livelihoods of people who shared information on Twitter, right? If you're a journalist, if you're doing a substack like I'm doing, you know, the reach is now severely limited. In, in the month that he's owned the company, I would get a bunch of subscriptions on a Sunday a month ago. I'd get 12 or something or eight. I got two yesterday, you know, for something that I put just the same amount of work into, you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm just using myself as an example, you know. So imagine like people that their whole living is based off of like distributing their information on there. He screwed that whole you know, group of people, entertainers that want to, you know, musicians, hey, I'm going out on tour. You know, here's my tour dates. Check it out. Read the tweet. See if I'm coming to a town near you. You know, these aren't rich people that are doing that. That's people out there working their butts off on the road, comics, musicians, writers. You know, that was the, the, the benefit of social media was that, like, you didn't need a big corporation to, to sign you to a record deal to have a, you know, to have an audience and a career anymore, right? You could put your stuff out, you know, on, on iTunes, you know, and you could tweet, I'm going on the road, here's my single, if you like it, come and check it out. And you'd build a fan base and you would create your own sort of following and your own career without the burdens of sort of tastemakers at corporations and without all the BS, you know, it's supposed to be a liberating thing. Somebody like Elon Musk should want to champion something like that, right? Instead, he comes in and tries to kill it because there's too much progressivism in it. That's why they don't like the humanities, right? They don't like woke stuff, and music tends to be woke, right? So it worked on that level. He's dismantling that. He's dismantling the sort of free speech, right? All the best COVID information I got was reading you know, actual doctors and nurses and the threads of them documenting what was happening and what's still happening, right? That's Twitter. Like, I can absorb a vast amount of information from a lot of different sources pretty quickly, right? Instead of, you know, waiting for the New York Times to put, put out the article or whatever. You know, you could basically, I could see what the, you know, what the top papers and what the top pundits were saying, you know, pretty quickly. And that is not, you know, in line with sort of kleptocracy and authoritarianism because they don't want the ability to sort of organize thought and react as one to, 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 to bad things that are happening, right? They want to control the narrative. They want to be able to say, hey, you know, 
this is what's happening. You know, we're going to open the country back up. Masks sucks. You know, masks suck. Dr. Fauci's an idiot. You know, go about your lives. And that's basically what they did. They did that to enough of the country that a lot of us just sort of gave up, you know, on ever stopping the pandemic, right? Now it's just assumed you're going to get it a couple times a year. Nobody really wears masks anymore, you know, and it's spreading again, right? But but the disinformation and that ecosphere of, of toxic, you know, masculine, anti-woke BS feeds into all that kind of stuff, right? And then you have a population that just spends their time like fighting amongst themselves or reacting to the more extreme elements, right? A couple of weeks ago, we had anti, you know, LGBT proud boy protest, anti-trans protest. They showed up in, you know, with guns in Cleveland because there was a story hour, you know, a drag story hour, which is about as harmless as you could get, <laughs> right? But they, they show up with their M16s in their uniforms and their masks and they intimidate, you know, they spread hate. At the same time, down in Florida, a bunch of literal neo-Nazis showed up with swastika flags outside another trans event, you know, somewhere outside of Orlando. Same thing. And the cops were called. The cops showed up and just sat in their cars. They didn't do anything to disperse the Nazis because that would have gone against, you know, the political base of their governor, right? Ron DeSantis, who's actively courting <laughs> the Nazi vote, okay? He, every time he gives a public speech you know, of a large scale, like a CPAC or something, Nazis show up outside and he's refused to denounce them. And that's been going on for over a year, right? So imagine not being able to speak out. You know, think of the GOP. They're scared to like denounce Trump's dinner with Kanye and Nick Fuentes because they don't want to piss off the part of the MAGA base that's a white supremacist Nazi organization. You know, and they're interchangeable. It's all racism right now. If you're a member of the GOP, you're actively involved in a party that is white supremacist and racist and anti-Semitic. Okay, and it's not going to end well for the GOP. You know, all of these men are going to become a stain on the history of democracy. You're not on the good side right now. You know, you're on the side of the Nazis and the despots and the worst of us, you know, the dregs of our society. But that's what they're courting. And they're building an army, right? North Carolina, they attacked the substations in Moore County. People didn't have power for days in rural North Carolina in the winter. You know, the first Saturday of December, Saturday night, they're all plunged into darkness because there was a coordinated attack on the power stations with guns, with the big machine guns that these guys think it's their birthright to walk around in. Again, why do you want the right allowing everybody, you know, why do you think the right rather wants everybody to be well armed? You know, they want their followers to intimidate the rest of us. You know, they want to sow fear and something like attacking the power stations that's guerrilla warfare. America's a vast country. It's bigger. There's more unpopulated land than there are populated places in America still. You know, that's the, the gift and the majesty of America, just how much land is out there. You know, that being said, places like Oklahoma, there's all these Aryan gangs, right, outside the main city in Oklahoma. What is it called? Somebody can put it in the chat. I only go to Okimo, where they have the uh, Tulsa, right outside of Tulsa, you know, in the like the scrub land. It's all scrub land in in Oklahoma. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, it's not the prettiest state. Okay, let's just put it that way. I've been there a lot on tour, but um, my point is they have like these, you know, compounds with like Aryan Nation prisoners and stuff. The Washington Post did great reporting on it. You know, and they're sort of living their own lawless lives out there. And, you know, you watch Breaking Bad or something. You know, you saw these, like, gangs that can sort of live on these compounds in rural America. So think of a place like, you know, rural North Carolina in Moore County where they attack these substations. Those guys are off up into the hills five minutes after they do it, and you're not going to find them. So think of those kind of acts coordinated happening all around the country. You know, and what a nightmare that would be for law enforcement and then factor in how many members of law enforcement are also involved in this. And a big article just came out Monday of how many uh, Homeland Security guys were part of the Oath Keepers. 
Okay, anybody who's been around these guys know it's a very similar mindset. And that's not to say there aren't a lot of decent law enforcement officers out there. There are, but there's also a lot of guys who sort of come out of the military and have that same kind of like toxic, I'm a white guy, supremacist stuff, you know, to the point that when the FBI was investigating this stuff starting in 2015 and collecting information and going to make some arrests on all these white supremacists, like sort of terrorist leaders in this country, they didn't send the names to local police departments because they knew so many local cops were friends with these guys. They didn't want to tip them off. You know, that, that says everything about it. You know, when the federal government doesn't trust the local PDs and then the federal government, Homeland Security and stuff is infiltrated with Oath Keepers. So, so think of that nightmare scenario, if you will. <laughs> you know, think of like a bunch of coordinated but isolated guerrilla attacks on electrical substations and things like that plunging things into darkness then the walmart's dark and you break in and steal all the guns which happened in moore county north carolina right hours after the attack a gun store was knocked over it was talk you know the the guns were taken out of a walmart and stuff so you're getting weapons you're disrupting civilian life you know you're endangering lives because people need electricity you know if you're on dialysis dialysis or something you know a breathing machine whatever you know it just not to freeze to death you know what i mean you need electricity so think of that you know they knocks out the cell towers think of that happening all over the country and not being able to trust the law enforcement as the case was again in north carolina where the sheriff had been pictured with the woman who was part of like a January 6th organizing group, a MAGA chick lady, I don't mean to be disrespectful, right? This MAGA lady who put on Facebook that she understood why the power went out and she was all for it. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but she was basically, you know, she's since deleted the, the post, but she was like, basically, I know why this happened and it's a good thing. You know, Jesus loves you. You know, this fundamentalist, these Christians, these white nationalists could do a lot of damage. They could wreak a lot of havoc. And the danger in that is that the guys that are spurring them on know it. You know, somebody like Trump would free the, flee the country before he would stand and be counted, right? Trump is not going to roll in there to court and defend himself if he gets indicted by the Justice Department. You know, there's going to be some logistical hassles to trying to flee. I said recently he would flee and people are like, his plane can't refuel. He can hop on a boat, okay? He's in Fort Lauderdale. There's an oceanfront, right? There's a marina part of Mar-a-Lago, okay? He can hop right on a boat, get taken out to international waters and whatever. You know, that guy could be in the wind quicker than you think. And if you think all the Secret Service will throw him down and arrest him, they didn't do that any other time, right? And guys like Tony Ornato lied to Congress, stonewalled. Bobby Engel, who I went to high school with, was the guy who got choked in the back of the SUV. These guys weren't unsympathetic, you know. They didn't tell Congress the truth about what Trump said and did, you know. And they might have justified it that they were, you know, protecting the president. But these are kind of Marine, white guy, ex-cop. You know, Tony Ornato had a, you know, a position in the White House, a political position, and left the Secret Service to do that and then was put back in the Secret Service. No, these guys are these are these are guys that drank the Kool-Aid and there's a lot of people that drank the Kool-Aid in this country. Right. Look at the, the election in Georgia this past week. You know, look how many people voted for Herschel Walker. I worked with Herschel Walker. He was on Celebrity Apprentice. OK, he wasn't even the worst guy behind the scenes. He wasn't actually that unfriendly or bad a guy. He didn't talk about vampires and stuff back then, but he was in no way ever qualified to be in the United States Senate. Anybody who spent more than five minutes with the guy would under would come away with a profound understanding of that, I promise you, okay? But he was cynically put up there by the GOP because he was black, right? And they didn't want Senator Raphael Warnock to go back. So they said, hey, we're not being racist if we put up another black guy, even if he's a, you know, a caricature you know, of what rural, racist, white Georgians think a black guy is, right? Even if he's like the worst stereotype we can think of because we really want to deny black excellence and how much a gift that is to this country and a threat to our ignorant way of life. So why don't we just put this candidate up there? 
you know, and anybody with a brain or a conscious, even a conservative back in the day would have been like, no way. That guy's not qualified. I'm going to cross party lines and vote for the guy who already did the job who's qualified, you know, or I'm not even going to vote, but I'm not voting for that guy. But people showed up and voted for him anyway. They voted party line. They voted for their jersey, as is said. And that's the legacy of Trumpism, dividing us, making it you against me. That's a dangerous precedent, you know, and, and that's what allows the sort of, you know, soft guerrilla warfare and stochastic terrorism that we're now facing. Trump will egg it on. If he can get out of this country and tell people to fight from afar, he will. Okay, he, he'd, he'd very easily say, hey, they're going after me. It's a witch hunt. You know, I fought for freedom. You know, they stole the election and now they want to lock me up. I'm going to go overseas for a minute, but I'll be back when you win the war on my behalf. You know, in the meantime, send me $20, you know, that he'll do something like that, you know, and, and people will believe it. They'll believe they're freedom fighters, you know, and they'll raise their sons to be freedom fighters and they'll sit up there in their pickup trucks and their cabins and their trailers or their suburban ranch houses, or their Park Avenue apartments, and they'll fund that chaos. They'll fund that militarization. And big companies, guys like Rupert Murdoch, guys like Elon Musk, they'll think nothing of sowing the discord and the disinformation so they can get out of doing their fair share, right, of, of what's right in a civic life, you know, paying their taxes, for example, being a billionaire, you know, and getting all these benefits from making so much money in this country and not paying your fair share, let alone somebody like Elon, who's anti-union, you know, I wouldn't buy a Tesla because they catch on fire and they're ugly, you know, they're, they're crappy interiors, they're not well built, a lot of quality control issues. I always think like, it's not about how fancy something is, it's about how well it's made, right? Same in a hotel. Fancy hotel over a well-managed hotel, night and day. Same thing with a restaurant, right? You always go for the well-built, well-managed, quality control stuff, right? I played that Martin at the top of the show. You know a Martin is coming out of that factory in pristine shape and it's going to be built to last, right? So it's the same thing. You know, it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in life. So a Tesla, it's crappily built. It's not built by proud union workers, right? It's built by guys who aren't allowed to organize and get intimidated and get picked on if they're black as Elon had to settle a case of racial harassment of an employee, you know, who happened to be black. That's disgusting. That's not a shop where I'm buying your product from. You know, that's not somebody I'm going to back up with my money. And, you know, electric vehicles are great. Everybody should get one and soon they will. But all these other companies are coming out with a far superior product. So there's no reason to buy a Tesla, you know, and you got to boycott. You got to push back on these guys because they're getting people hurt. You know, people are going to get killed over Elon Musk's tweets. And that should not ever be the case. <laughs> you know, there is free speech in this world. But, you know, like the cliche Kay says you can't, you know, yell fire in a crowded theater and, and cause a stampede. And essentially that's what these guys are doing, right? They're, they want to cause the stampede. They want to hijack the narrative at a time when you have real issues that we should be paying attention to. Climate change being at the top of that list, you know, food insecurity and poverty and childhood poverty. All these things we have to address. Healthcare, you know, being a human right. You know, people shouldn't be rationing, rationing insulin in this country, as they are. You know, people are going to choose between getting presents for their kids, and, you know, or, or getting their prescription filled. You know, too many people. And Biden's actually doing something about a lot of this stuff. You know, a lot of stuff. But they're not the guys, they're not the types to brag about it and shout it from the rooftops. That's why I went down there, you know, to help try and get that message out and you know the story. I was invited down there with these other progressive influences, influencers because they were like, hey, we're doing a lot of stuff. Our heads are down and we're getting it done. We're not great at all this other stuff. Help us get the word out, you know, and I was more than happy to do that. And people need to hear that word. But it's hard to hear about, you know, ten and a half million jobs created in two years, which is more than any other president at this point in their presidency. You're not going to hear about that as much when it's like, oh my God, can you believe what Elon just said? 
right? And, and, and it's not to, to say to ignore what Elon said, because it's important to call the stuff out. But it's to understand whoever lies the loudest controls the narrative and whoever creates the most chaos controls the narrative, right? That's why M, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about buying butt plugs at a CVS, <laughs> you know, at a young Republican committee meeting on Park Avenue in New York City on Saturday night, which speaks to my point of these guys are everywhere. You know, the guys that were controlling Trump were from 740 Park Avenue, you know, the billionaires building, you know, where, where first David Koch lived and his wife and, you know, Charles Koch, who's still with us, you know, where these guys sort of fomented and funded the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation and the modern sort of libertarian Tea Party movement. All this stuff was backed by billionaires who basically wanted to be masters of the universe, didn't want to pay their fair share, and found a magic formula in treating sort of medi mediocre rural white Americans that had been sort of ginned up on Mountain Dew and NASCAR and Fox News and racial resentment and cultural ignorance and xenophobia, you know, and a bullshit toxic idea of what it means to be a patriot because they watched a Reagan commercial in their pajamas and their dad thought he was a good American, right? So these guys are ripe for the picking and these billionaires come through with their bullshit well-designed and gerrymander and redistrict and flood zones with, you know, candidates that are beholden to them and have no real moral, you know, compass themselves. They're just venal little schmucks, Josh Hollies and Ron DeSantis's and Tom Cotton's, Jim Jordan's, the list goes on. Ted Cruz, those are all Tea Party guys, essentially, you know, and then Trump came along and they, you know, they, they, they turn, you know, they put like Everclear in the Tea Party punch, right? It just became on steroids. It became such a circus shy sideshow freak show that it became a winning formula for all these other guys to get in, you know, your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Matt Getzes, you know, this new generation. And now they're trying to get Kyle Rittenhouse to run for Congress, a kid who's only famous for murdering two people. And he got away with it because the MAGA judge was like, yep, those are guys that deserve to get murdered. You're a good man, son. Go on your way now. And the Republicans made a hero out of him, right? Because that's the future, because it's idiocy, right? It's branding violence and toxic masculinity and a doughy little white kid as what the idea is of a true patriot in this country, right? They're a minority, and a shrinking minority, but they're able to hold on to that power base because they're well-funded, right? Because billionaires happen to coalesce with their train of thought. Not that the billionaires necessarily buy the bullshit, but they don't want those people turning and figuring out who's really screwing them over. And that's America. That's been America since the Industrial Revolution, since before it, since the plantation owner days and the founding fathers. You know, that's they wanted indentured servants, you know, from Ireland and England to resent the African-Americans. Right. They didn't want him saying, hey, why is that guy in the big house? He doesn't, you know, I never see him going to work and I see a 12 year old going down in the mine, you know, and dying by the time he's 19. Like, what, what's going on here? This doesn't seem right. <laughs> you know. They don't want unions. They don't want things busting sweatshops. You know, look at the labor history of the United States. If, if you ever want to, you know, jump into a a, a, a a facet of this nation and who we really are that hasn't been witnessed a lot, look at unions. You know, look at workers and, and how people were abused forever, you know, until labor unions, until the Democratic Party, to be fair, the war on wokeism didn't just begin. It's been going on for a long time. It's always been wokeism. It's any sort of progressivism that deals with human rights, that deals with un, you know, not exploitative things. It doesn't mean people, you know, people are always going to be richer and poorer. That's not what I'm talking about. But people should have a decent shot, you know, at being a functioning, healthy human being, right? You shouldn't if you have a job, you should have a place to sleep and something to eat in healthcare. That should be, everybody should have that, whether you have a job or not, because some people are unemployable for a host of reasons that need to be treated before you punish that person for not having a job. Okay. 
But we don't have any of that social safety net. Well, we do have it. That's not fair to say. It's under attack, right? Social Security, Medicaid, those were all the things they wanted to go after. You know, if they were able to take back the Senate. And look how they tried to, you know, do that with this cynical choice, you know, with a Herschel Walker. And he got beat, you know. Thank God. And we get to go into a season of light and, and holidays reflecting on our better angels, right? And, and that's what I want us to do. Like, this chaos is exhausting, right? But you can't give up, right? You can't let the idiots like Elon Musk win, you know. Trump's toast. Trump hasn't left Mar-a-Lago. He knows he's screwed, okay? That's the good news. You know, if I give you a holiday gift, apparently Preet Bharara said today that, like, he thinks indictments are coming soon against Trump. Preet Bharara is a lot smarter guy than me. He's got a lot more of an inside track. If he says it, I believe it. And I do believe it. I do believe accountability is coming to that guy. We're, we're, we don't know how it's all going to play out. As I said earlier, he could flee. He can do all kinds of things. But he is running out of time. A guy who's a king of running out the clock and using, you know, his sort of position of power and his wealth to, to hire lawyers to stall on his behalf. That, that jig is, is up, you know. I think he's met his match in, in Jack Smith and, and, and Merrick Garland. As, as quiet as they've been, I, I do feel like the hammer is going to come down, and it's going to come down someday soon, okay? But the rest of the battle isn't won, right? What Trump started and created is a thousand little wildfires in this country. When he goes away, it doesn't end. That's why we need to, you know— that's that's why we need to stay in the fight, essentially, is what I'm saying. We we need to keep sharing progressive speech and thought. You know, you, you can get off of Twitter. I understand that. But get on post. Get on something else where you can stay connected. Substack, you're welcome to follow me. It's free to sign up. If, if you guys don't know how it works, you just put in your email and you get an emailed newsletter a couple times a week that I put in a lot of work on, you know. And, and you can also subscribe and that supports the podcast and I love that so many people have done that. It's a, it really means more than you know. But uh, that's how that works. And you can keep in touch with the kind of things that I'm trying to say and watch it on YouTube and the podcast and all the things everybody's doing and sharing continue to do is my point, right? Because you can't let these bad guys win. You know, Twitter can go down in flames, but you don't want like to hand the wind to somebody like Elon Musk, you know, who karma is going to catch up with. Okay, people aren't going to keep buying Teslas, right? He's going to run afoul of the government. He keeps attacking, you know, guys who just got the Congressional Medal of Honor, right? And half his business is getting government contracts for SpaceX and stuff. So, you know, again, no, re you know, restraint of pen and tongue. Just let me let me speak before I think. That's not what you want in a corporate leader. That's not what you want in the CEO of a company. You know, Twitter's not public, but Tesla is. You imagine being an investor in Tesla? It was almost $400 in April before he started doing all this Twitter stuff, right? It's 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 178 or something right now. I haven't checked it in a couple weeks, but you know, it's lost half its value, you know, in 6 months cuz the guy doesn't understand restraint of pen and tongue. You know, it, it's it's mind-blowing. You know, and his interest will still be, still be served if he destroys it, which is ultimately his game plan, right? He just wants to take it out. You know, it's worth $44 billion to the people he represents, you know, like the Saudis. It's like, you know, that invested in him. He doesn't represent the Saudis, but that's where he got the money, right? Think of like the World Cup, right? Everybody's watching the World Club, Cup. I watched the England match the other day. They always lose in, in the quarterfinals, you know, on penalties as they did again but think of you know if you've watched the brilliant john oliver you know he did a deep dive on on fifa and, and them awarding the world cup to Qatar, and the, and what they did was like they had to like basically build all these stadiums in 10 years so so they went to india and you know bangladesh and east southeast asia and brought all these guys over to build these things and then basically held them hostage and abused them you know made them live in inhumane conditions, you know, and you could have just brought those guys over there, paid them, made sure they had a decent place to sleep and eat and sanitary conditions. They would have made their money and sent it back home and all would have been fine, but they still exploited them and lied about it and punished them, you know, and that's something that's always been with humanity, 
You know, it's enslaving other people, essentially. And we have economic, you know, situations that present themselves where human beings get caught up in this mass global commerce and get ground up with no basic protections or a minimum standard, right? There's nobody says you shouldn't have, you know, some people are going to have to leave their homes and go make more money and send it back home. There's a noble gallantry and bravery in doing that. Those people shouldn't be punished for that. They shouldn't be unpaid for their work. And that's what happened. And now the cup's going on and everyone's cheering and you're standing in stadiums that were built on blood that the guys who built them didn't get, you know, paid for and were exploited. And the journalists that pointed that out are showing up dead, right? Journalists died over the weekend and, you know, two of them now. A photojournalist just died last night in the famous case of David, I can't think of his last name, forgive me, but he wore the, you know, the, the World Cup t-shirt with the rainbow flag, you know, to represent LGBTQ communities and his own brother who was gay. And then he shows up, drops dead, you know, at a match mysteriously, right? Because he, he questioned the government, you know. So I'm not saying they killed him. I'm just saying they probably killed him, <laughs> right? Because he stuck his nose in where it didn't belong. But why it did belong there is my point. But why do people still want to, you know, exploit to that extent? You know, they have so much money, they could have just paid these guys fairly. There was something like sadistic beyond it. You know, it's not enough to just achieve something. You have to break, you know, the will of the people too, and then be unempathetic about it, right? Just be like, whatever. Just like the, they got fired getting a big laugh line last night. You know, just like, you know, Elon saying, you know, branch COVIDians, thinking it's a joke. You know, over a million people died. A lot of people are going to sit down to Christmas and wish mom or dad was still there like they were at Christmas 2020, right? But they're not anymore because we had an idiot who was in charge of the country and he only cared about his own political interests. That's why I pointed out Trump's drug addiction. It wasn't that he could, you know, if you, if you could do the job and do the substance, more power to you. It was that I knew he had the isms so bad that if there was a crisis that arose, he would only think about his own self-interest, right? And he wouldn't have restraint of pen and tongue. He would say, oh, masks are stupid, or just drink bleach, or whatever. We're going to open everything back up by Easter. You know, because somebody told me that'll help with the poll numbers, with the white nationalists that I need to get reelected. And the anti-vaxxers and the idiots who listen to Joe Rogan, right? So he did it. He had no restraint of pen and tongue. And people paid with their lives. Words matter, right? Free speech isn't free. You, you have a responsibility, you know, to, to use your words. It's like the four agreements. Did you guys ever read the four agreements, Ruiz? It's like Toltec wisdom. One of them is be impeccable with your word, right? Always tell the truth, you know? Words matter. You create your own destiny with your words. You know, words are like a prayer going out into space. That's why it doesn't feel good when you just say dumb stuff or you gossip, right? It, it might feel good in the moment, but it's like eating sugar or something. You know, you get a bit of a rush when you speak out in anger and then you feel stupid afterwards. You're like, damn, I shouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? We all do it. That's why it doesn't feel good. It's not good for your spirit, you know? Because they're such powerful things. You can lift somebody up, you know? like music right music can lift us up can say things that words can't you know you can't lie you know with music so easily you can fake it, but it's hard to lie. You know, people connect to the truth, right? And your words can always be true. You can strive towards that, you know, and being true to yourself is okay. But you have to be true to yourself in a society that you understand you're a part of the bigger whole, you know, and, and your words are going to ripple. You know, it's like the butterfly flaps its wings in China and, you know, it's a, it's a tsunami by the time it hits 
Cape Cod. <laughs> I mangled that uh, analogy, but you get the point, right? Things live on beyond us. It's all energy that we're putting out in the universe, you know? And you have to be careful about that. And we're in a time where you have to look at a lot of people putting a lot of bad things out there for their own gain, you know? And they're making others suffer because of it. And it's not a good thing, you know? That's why we need to come together. We need to laugh. We need to rejoice. We need to celebrate. We need to sing. And it's the season for doing all of that. I wish you guys the best. I hope you get a chance to do all that. The thing I always liked best about like the holidays, like the traditions, I always thought caroling was cool. Like it would be completely creepy now probably, but that idea, you know, of going door to door and spreading some merriment with your soul, you know, singing to your neighbors, that must have been something pretty cool back in the day, you know, when that was kind of more commonplace. You know, there must have been an exchange of spirit on a cold winter's night when that happened. You know, a wonderment in a child's eyes, seeing people sing, seeing you, looking up and seeing your parents stand there in the door singing along, you know. And I don't mean that with any religious connotations. I just mean the spirit, the energy of togetherness. That's what we're trying to celebrate, you know. Right? There's, 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 there's no room at the inn, you know. It, the whole... The whole story, the whole nativity thing that we celebrate, you know, that many people celebrate in the Christian side of things. Like, it's all about sort of like inclusion, inclusiveness, taking care of the least among us, you know, providing shelter from the storm, you know, sharing, right, wisdom. You know, all those things are free. All those things are available to all of us right now. We have to go within you know, we have to get silent. We have to learn not how to tune out the craziness and the chaos, but how to react to it from a place of presence, not from restraint of pen and tongue, right? Not think before I act, not reaction, you know, but, but present, you know, conscious thought that aims towards love and points to the truth, okay? And that's what you guys helped me do. This has been another episode. Thank you to Michelle and April. They ordered t-shirts. I sent them out. I hope you have them by now. Anybody else wants one, you can get them at noelcastler.com. You can follow me at Noel's Notes on Substack or find me on Twitter or watch this on YouTube. I'll be back before Christmas, so uh, I'm not going anywhere. I always love you guys. I always love that you listen. Until next time, peace.